This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me into the book of the Psalms. Psalm chapter, or Psalm 32, we'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read all 11 verses that we find in this psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray together. Our fathers, we come again together and we come into your presence and we pray that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, that you would instruct us through your word and that our lives would not be the same as a result of it. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us ears to hear, remove from our minds and our hearts every distraction and every thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Give us understanding. Help us to submit our will to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our nation uh, is, at least economically today, a prosperous nation. If we hear the reports of uh, jobs and employment and economic progress, uh, those reports are very good, especially in relation to uh, what we uh, experienced in 2008 in that time period when our nation went into a major recession. Uh, But in spite of all of that prosperity, uh, we find that as a nation, uh, many people are unhappy. Uh, We have more forms of communication Yet there are more lonely people than ever before. 
We have more forms of medication to treat the ailments of society, yet we find disease marches on. Uh, We have more medications to treat emotional and mental disorders, but yet we find that uh, those disorders and those conditions are increasing at an increasing rate. Uh, We find that suicide is one of the leading causes of death in our nation. Uh, We find that we live uh, generally in an unhappy generation and an in an unhappy nation. The Bible teaches us in Psalm 32 that we can be blessed, that we can live in a state of blissfulness and happiness and joy. And the thing that will keep us from that condition, from that state, is not another treatment that we need, uh, it, is, it is not another thing that we need to acquire materially. It is not another relationship that we need to engage in, although I would say that it is based on a relationship that all people must have, and that is with the Lord. And that the characteristic of that relationship is that we are, as they used to say in days gone by, right with the Lord. And so the question is, This evening, as we begin 2020, and we have a fresh start, a new year and a new decade, and oh, uh, there's something about that fresh start. we We can think about the mistakes of the past and the problems of the past, and we can sort of say, all right, let's just... Let's just forget about those, and let's move forward with a fresh slate. And if you want to move forward with a fresh slate, then there's one thing you have to deal with in your life, and that is sin. And as we come to this 32nd Psalm, we find that David is teaching us and instructing us regarding the sinfulness of our own hearts, our sinful record, our sinful tendencies, the consequences of our sin, and how that we can deal with our sin because the Lord Jesus Christ has made provision for our sin, we can therefore now deal with our sin and we can experience the blessings of forgiveness. And as we go forward in 2020, we certainly pray that God would use us and God would bless us We certainly want to enjoy uh, the fellowship that we have in him, but we will not enjoy it. We will not experience that unless we are willing to deal with sin in our lives. Notice again, if you would, please, in verse number one, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now, here is what we find. We find that sin is the problem of the human condition. And though we live in a generation, as I said, which is uh, enjoying prosperity and and which has made a lot of advances in in technological areas and in in medical treatments and and in different... um, aspects of life, yet we find that for the most part, people 
are as miserable and unhappy as they have ever been. And the reason is because of sin and the unwillingness of people to deal with sin, to acknowledge that they're uh, that they have sinned, that they have sinned against God, and their unwillingness not only to acknowledge it, but then to deal with it and see it forgiven. You see, sin is the problem of the human condition. Uh, you, the, the, the new order that uh, so many are desiring uh, to see uh, take place in our country, uh, the revolution that is taking place morally and uh, socially and politically in our nation is an effort by sinful people to remove the consequences and the guilt and the judgment of sin from their lives without dealing with the fact that they are sinners. And friend, their pursuit is one that will leave them empty and unsatisfied. And so in their rage against God, in their in an effort to silence the voice of their own conscience, in an effort to, uh, to, to, to soothe their heart and mind, they are trying to erase the voice of God and to remove it altogether and to remove the reproach of sin. Sin is the problem of the human condition. Sin brings separation. Uh, sin also brings suffering. Sin brings sorrow and ultimately, it brings death. Remember Adam and Eve sinning in the garden? And when God came to, to them, what did they do? They hid from the Lord. Sin brings separation. And when God confronted them with the sin, what did Adam say? Don't look at me, look at her. Sin brings separation. Sin brings suffering. Uh, here we find that it wasn't long before Adam would experience the curse of the ground, that Eve would experience the curse of bringing a child into the world, there was suffering that came in because of sin. There was sorrow that came in. Uh, when Cain, in his rebellion against God, lifted his hand against his brother and murdered him, there was sorrow. And then there's death. The Lord said, in the day you eat of the fruit, ye shall surely die. And they died that day spiritually. Ultimately, they died physically. And so death is a result of sin, and sin is the problem of the human condition. Sin is serious. It is an offense to God. And the penalty of it is serious. It is death. The price of sin is serious. It is blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. And so we understand that sin is a serious thing. In fact, in these first two verses, God uses uh, four terms to describe sin. I want you to look at them with me, if you would, please. Notice the first one, it is transgression. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word transgression speaks of man's inner rebellion against God. It speaks of our nature as sinners to rebel against God, to say that nobody can tell me what to do, to resist God's work in our lives. That is transgression, our rebellion. Do you know why children rebel against their parents? Because they are born with a sin nature. And by the way, their parents re rebelled against their parents, right? 
that's why we have so many rebelling against civil authority. That's why in church you have people who rebel against spiritual authority. Rebellion is a mark of sin. It is as the sin, the Bible says, of witchcraft, transgression. And so he says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose, the next word here is the word sin. And this is a word that David uses, and it has the Hebrew root that means to miss the mark, to fall short. God gave a standard of righteousness, and man is unable to live up to that standard of righteousness. Man misses the mark. The Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners, and none of us are able to meet God's righteous requirements. There's another word that is used here in verse number two. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. And so the word is iniquity. And this word indicates sin that is particularly evil since it strongly conveys the idea of twisting or perverting deliberately. The noun form of this word carries with it the idea of guilt from conscious wrongdoing. In other words, this is the kind of sin where we know it is sin, and even though we know it is sin, we deliberately choose to do it. There are times when we just mess up impulsively maybe, we lose our temper or, or we say something or we mistreat somebody. We're having a bad day. But this is a sin that is intentionally committed against knowledge. This is a sin that is deliberately committed to fly in the face of God. And it has the idea of twisting and perverting iniquity. There's another word that is used here. We find the word guile, guile. And this word means to deceive, it, it, it is synonymous with the word treachery. It refers to what is not truthful, what is not steadfast, what is not correct. You know, we have a tendency to want to excuse our actions and our motives, and, and we might say things to excuse ourselves which are different from the truth of God's word, things maybe that we have heard or maybe things that we would like to conveniently believe and so we say them in order to excuse ourselves. And so God here uses these four terms, transgression, sin, iniquity, and guile, to describe sin. God is serious about sin in our lives. Now, if we want to experience the blessings and the blessedness that God desires for us to have. If we want to begin 2020 with a heart that is right, a, a, a soul that is cleansed, a mind that is purified, if we want to have a relationship that is right with God in 2020, then we have to deal with sin. We have to deal with our sin. And we find that if we will deal with it, we will experience the blessings of God. Now, notice how God deals with our sin here in these opening verses. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word forgiven here means to be taken up and carried away. Taken up and carried away. Imagine somebody with a burden of sin, and they're carrying that heavy load. Think of, of uh, the, the character in, in, in uh, 
Pilgrim's progress. Pilgrim. He's, he's weighted down under the burden of sin. He needs somebody to take that heavy load off of him. I'm glad that Jesus took the heavy load of my sin, and he bore it. The Bible said he who knew no sin, he was made sin to be, uh, he was made sin for us. Uh, all of my sin, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, was laid upon him. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He bore it. He carried it away. I think about the scapegoat that went without the camp, carrying away the sin symbolically of the people. Uh, the Bible teaches us that God remembers our sin against us no more and that he, uh, he, he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And so I'm glad that God deals with our sin by forgiving us of our sin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. There's another picture here that we find in these opening verses whose sin is covered. That means that God has, has not only carried away my sin, but he has covered it. He has put it out of his sight. He has covered it by his precious blood. And so he can see my sin and your sin no longer. It has been covered. There's another term that we find here in verse number two. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. The word impute is an accounting term. It's a business term. It deals with the transaction. And here's what we find. We find that we who have been forgiven of our sin, we are no longer accountable for that sin in the sense of the fact that we owe a debt. Because God does not, when he, look upon, when he looks upon our account, he, he does not impute that sin to us any longer. In fact, what he has done is he has imputed unto us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do we find out about our sin here? We find out that our sin debt has been paid for. Praise God, he's dealing with our sin. He has forgiven it, taken it up, carried it away. He has covered it, put it out of his sight. He has paid for it. And then notice in verse number two, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Do you know that we're naturally children of the devil and we naturally lie like he does? We naturally deceive. You don't have to teach anybody to do that. We all naturally do it. We are bound by sin. But once we have been forgiven and the power of the Holy Spirit has freed us from that sin, then that sin is removed from us. And so here's what we find here, that we have been freed from that sin. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans that sin no longer has dominion over us. Uh, we, we've been delivered from the power of sin. And as we yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we yield ourselves to the Holy Ghost, then we can, be, uh, we can live uh, in the experience of the freedom that he has given us over sin. No wonder Horatio Sp Spafford wrote these words, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, listen, as I've grown older, I have come to understand more and more 
the depravity of my own sinful nature. I have come to understand how utterly sinful I am. And that has made me appreciate so much more the grace and the mercy of God. And Mr. Spafford, who lost his daughters uh, as they were sailing across the sea, they died when the ship went down. And uh, he didn't lose them. He knew where they were. But as he penned the words to the song, It Is Well, he thought about the fact that the Lord has forgiven him of his sin. What a blessing it is, therefore, to have your sin forgiven. And I want to tell you tonight that if there is sin in your life, then you need to deal with it. And thanks be unto God, you can deal with it because he is a God of mercy and grace. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I'm glad that the Lord loves me. I'm glad that he made the payment for my sin. And I'm glad that he's willing to forgive me if I'll simply come to him. He will forgive me of my sin. And I'll tell you, I won't therefore experience the destruction that sin can cause in the life even of a believer. Uh, the defilement of the conscience and, and, and the the division of a family and the destruction of a relationship and the discouragement of a heart that is supposed to be serving God. Uh, all, all those are consequences of sin in our lives. Now, if we're believers, Jesus Christ has made the payment for our sin. We're on our way to heaven. But the fact is that sin in our lives hinders our relationship with him and it hinders our effectiveness in service to him. It hinders our joy. In fact, Christians who are in sin are among the most miserable people on the earth. Now, a, a lost person out in sin, he's not typically miserable because he doesn't know any better. He's just doing what comes naturally. But a Christian in sin can't enjoy that sin. Uh, they might enjoy it for a short season. But the reality and the consequence of that sin and the conviction of that sin is going to settle into their soul, and they are not going to be happy people. There's going to be something wrong with them. And so sin affects us, and we have an opportunity now as we begin a new year to deal with our sin and get a fresh start with God. And I want to encourage you to do that. Now, here we find in Psalm 32, uh, we find here, that David instructs us, as the Holy Spirit of God is leading him, he instructs us on how we can deal with sin. And there's some steps that I'd like to review with you. Number one, conviction. Conviction. When it comes to sin, as we sin, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to our hearts. Maybe we say something to our spouse that we shouldn't say. And maybe we're right in, in, in one sense, but we're wrong altogether in another because our spirit isn't right and our words aren't right. And we're harsh. And, and we say our word like we would wield a sword. And so that's sinfulness. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit will convict us. If we know God, we can't sin without conviction, right? And so uh, maybe maybe... Uh, we say something at work or we mishandle some situation or, or, or we, um, we, we, we are involved in a business deal and we don't deal with that in, a, in, a, in the way that it should be dealt with, in a moral way, in a righteous way. Uh, maybe we, we cheat on our taxes or, or we cheat our boss. 
And uh, we've taken something that doesn't belong to us when we do that. And when that happens, when that happens, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to our hearts. Uh, we live in a pornographic society, do we not? And uh, may God help us. May God help us to, to deal with that. Or the attitudes or the covetousness of our own hearts. May God help us to deal with that because when we give in to that, into that tendency or that temptation in our lives, then we sin against God. And when we sin against God, conviction comes in. And convicted saints who aren't willing to deal with their sin, as I said a moment ago, are among the most miserable people you'll ever meet. Now notice in verse number three, as David describes this conviction, this conviction that comes to him. He says in verse number three, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. In other words, David, not willing to deal with his sin, and we think obviously of the sin that he committed uh, in the matter of Bathsheba when he committed adultery with her, and then he later found out that she was with child, and he tried to cover that by bringing her husband back home from the battle, and the husband, who was a noble man, refused to go home to his wife while his fellow soldiers were out on the field fighting. And uh, David tried to manipulate the situation, even got him intoxicated, got him drunk to, so he would hopefully go home, but he would not uh, go home. And so David, understanding that, sends him back to the field of battle with the instructions that he'd be put at the forefront of the battle and that the troops would draw so that he would, he would be killed in battle. All of that took place. He committed adultery. He committed murder. And God dealt with his sin. And the record of that repentance is found for us in Psalm 51. And David said, he said, I will teach sinners. Uh, when I am converted, I will teach sinners thy way. And many believe that this 32nd Psalm is his effort to instruct sinners on how to deal with sin. Now notice as he, as he hearkens back to a time when he had kept silent in regard to his sin. He said, when I kept silence... My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Here's what he's saying. He's saying God is dealing with me in my sinfulness. God is dealing with me. I cannot get away with this. I cannot enjoy it. Maybe nobody knows it. Maybe it's just David. But here's the fact. God knows it, right? And in David's soul and in his spirit and in his conscience, he is aware of the fact that he has sinned against God. And if he's going to experience the blessings, <coughs> excuse me, if he's going to enjoy fellowship and communion and, and fruitful service, then he must learn to deal with his sin. Because as long as he doesn't deal with it, he's oppressed by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so number one, when we sin, there is conviction. Now, if you can sin and never have conviction, then that's, that's a problem, right? That's a real problem. Now, it may mean that you've just silenced and grieved and quenched the voice of the Holy Ghost because of past sin. You've given a place to the devil, and that is certainly possible. 
But it also may mean, if you never experience the conviction of sin, that you've never truly come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Because I can promise you that if the Holy Spirit lives within you and you continuously sin, God is going to deal with you. God is going to bring conviction to your heart. And by the way, thank God for conviction. Thank God for conviction. Now, a few years ago, uh, my, uh, my, one of my children had to have a dog. And uh, I said, you know, that may not be a good idea. Oh, we've just got to have you. You've got to see it. And once I saw the picture of this dog, I thought, oh, you, you can't pass up on this dog. I mean, this is the most, this is the cutest dog you've ever seen in your life. Just, it looks like a stuffed animal. I'm telling you, you just can't say no to that dog. But you know what happens to that dog, right? Uh, she begins to grow up. And she whimpers all night long, and she cries, and she chews up everything in the house, the table legs and the chair legs and anything she can get her hands on. And uh, when it became obvious that she was in a situation that she was not going to prosper in, I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take the dog in, all right? Now, I've already had a couple dogs uh, since I've lived in my neighborhood, and my neighbors weren't too happy about it because my dogs kept getting out. And I always get the stark raving mad dogs. That's the kind of dog I get. The unfriendly, loud, barking dog that makes everybody unhappy they live in the neighborhood with me. That's the kind of dog I get. And uh, this dog, this sweet little dog, has grown up to be that kind of dog. She barks at everybody that goes by. And if she's outside, she'll get as close to them as she possibly can and scare them to death. And uh, that's just the kind of dog she is. Her name's Ellie. She's a boxer and a shepherd mix. And so I thought, if we're going to have Ellie in our house and we're going to take care of Ellie, I've learned my lesson. I can't have her running around on the street, right? So I've got to get one of these fences to keep Ellie in. And so we called the Invisible Fence Company, and they came out and they installed the Invisible Fence. Now, I had people, well-meaning people here in the church, and they said, Pastor, you can do that yourself. It's easy. Let me tell you what you do. Well, let me tell you, had I done that, it would have been a disastrous experience. And because I've already experienced things like that, I knew better than try to do it myself. So I just called Invisible Fence, and they came out, and they hooked it all up. And then when I have a problem, guess who I get to call? Invisible Fence. And they come out, and they fix the problem. Well, Invisible Fence came out, and they installed the Invisible Fence, and they put a collar around sweet little Ellie. And they said, now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put flags where the borders of the Invisible Fence are so that the dog will have a visual cue. And when she gets close to that, she's going to begin to feel a sensation uh, from that collar. It's going to begin to shock her. And uh, when she gets close to it, it will be slight. But as she gets closer to the threshold of the fence, it will intensify in its pain. Now, here's what we want for Ellie. We want Ellie to be happy. We want Ellie to enjoy life. We want her to have the whole yard to run uh, in and up and down. There's, hill, there's a hill in the backyard. We could open a ski slope back there if it were long enough. I'm telling you, she could have the greatest time right there in that yard. But she has a desire to get out into the street. 
and chase the neighbors and the, and the cars. And so we've got to keep her for her own good in the yard. And so we've employed the Invisible Fence Company to help us do that. Now let me tell you what God has done for you. God has given you a place of blessing. And he wants nothing but the best for you because he loves you. And the Lord, by his spirit, has put a program, a shock collar, if you would, around your soul. And when you begin to get close to the danger zone, when you begin to get close to getting outside of his will, do you know what will happen to you? You'll begin to feel the burning of that, uh, that sensation. That's the Holy Ghost. And he is speaking to you, and he's saying, you know that's wrong. You know that's wrong. Don't do that. And often in our self-will and our stubbornness, we'll march on. In fact, some dogs figure it out. Once they pass through the threshold of pain, they're free, and they can go out and run through the neighborhood, and they can chase everybody's cat and bark at everybody as they go by, and they can run with the cars. But eventually, you know what happens to a dog like that? They get ran over or they get reported, and then they're gone. You see, God has set borders in our lives, borders of protection, borders of blessing. Listen, young person, you need to learn to heed the work of the Holy Ghost when he brings conviction into your heart for sin. It is a gift from God to experience the conviction of sin because God can't allow that to dwell in you because it will destroy your life conviction, which leads us to the second point. We find it in verse number five. That's confession. Now, there are two responses that anyone can have to conviction. Number one, we can conceal our sin. Or number two, we can confess it. We can conceal it. That means we can hide it, pretend it's not there or we can confess it. Now, David is teaching us here to confess our sin. Now, remember, he didn't openly confess it readily at the beginning, but as he was confronted with his sin by the prophet, as the heaviness of it settled in on his soul, he confessed it. Notice verse 5. Would you look there with me? I, what's the next word, church? I acknowledge my what? When's the last time you did that? When's the last time? When you were with the Lord and you said, Lord, I sinned against you today. Or I sinned against you just then. The psalmist said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. And by the way, we don't have to confess all our sins to everybody, right? We confess them to God. I acknowledge my sin unto who? Unto thee. Not to my friends, but to God. And mine iniquity have I not hid. Who's he trying to hide it from? He's trying to hide it from God. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. I'm not going to try to conceal them anymore. By the way, in Proverbs 28, we read these verses in verse number 13. Mark it down, write it down in your notes. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. You see, when I try to conceal my sin, what am I doing? I'm hardening my heart. When I do that, what will happen to me? I will fall into mischief. But when I confess it, when I forsake it, when I fear God, I will experience again the blessings and the joyfulness of the Christian life. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So you can attempt to conceal your sin, but that's a miserable lot, and it won't work. Or you can confess it and experience again the blessings of God. I acknowledge my sin. Are you willing to take responsibility for yourself? You know, this is the age of the excuse, isn't it? This is the age of it's not my fault, it's somebody else's. In fact, we can't even attribute our own sin, sinfulness and sinful actions to ourselves. We have to attribute it to some condition or some past experience. And there's no doubt that there are things that people deal with and experiences that people uh, have suffered that, that contribute to the situation. But here's what we have to understand about ourselves. We are at the core of our being sinful creatures. And we must acknowledge our sin and confess it to God. And when we do that, notice what he says here in verse 5. Notice the word and. I, I, I just double underline that, would you? And thou, what's the next word, church? Forgavest the iniquity of my sin. When I confessed it, when I acknowledged it, when I did not any longer try to hide it from you, oh, Lord, when I was open about it with you, not with everybody in the world, but with you, when I dealt with my sin with you, you forgave me of my sin. You lifted the load. You covered the stain. You freed me from the bondage. What a blessing it is to be delivered from sin. And so there is conviction, and conviction will lead us to confession. That leads us to a third thing, and that is confidence. Confidence. Now, I want to tell you what the devil will do. He will remember all of your sins. But God said, I won't. And he is the accuser of the brethren. He'll, he'll, he'll point out everything you've ever done to really blow it. But let me tell you, if you have confessed your sin to God, you can be assured that God has forgiven you of your sin. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to do what? to forgive us our sin and to not only forgive us, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we can be confident in the Lord that he has forgiven us. Now, we deal with sin on a daily basis. How many of you figured that out? 
I used to think that at some point in my Christian life, I would finally land on the plane of no more sin, no more trouble. How naive was I, right? That I would just arrive at a point of victory, I'd be up on the mountaintop with Moses, and everything would be glorious. Do you know what I found out? That's not going to happen. And if it's happened to you, please don't tell me. It'll discourage me greatly. But I can be confident even though I still deal with sin because I've been delivered from the penalty of sin, right? Jesus Christ delivered me from that penalty. I've been delivered from its power. I can have victory in sin, the victory that he won as I yield to him, but I haven't been delivered from its presence. And if in its presence I am not filled with the Spirit of God, then I can succumb to its power. But in the midst of that situation, I can have confidence. Now, notice what he said in verse 6. For this shall everyone that is, what's the next word? Godly. For this shall everyone that is godly. What makes us godly? Well, we are godly because we reflect his image. We're godly because we know him. We're godly because we have had our sins forgiven. We've entered into a right relationship with him but we still deal with sin, right? For this shall everyone that is godly, what's the next word, church? Hey, can I tell you something? I can be confident in him because I can pray. When sin comes in and, and I slip up, I can pray. I can call on the Lord. When I am overcome with some temptation or, or, or some uh, some uh, tendency in my heart and I just want to say something and I want to think something or I want to have something, uh, then I can, in the midst of that temptation, I can pray. And if I do give in to that temptation, immediately, do you know what I can do? I can pray. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Aren't you glad to know that God does not run from us? We may run from him, but he doesn't run from us. He can be found. And I want to tell you tonight, if you're dealing with sin, you can find God tonight. He's here, and he wants to help you. All you have to do is call unto him. We can pray. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. Oh, when all the troubles and sorrows and burdens of life and the temptations of sin are all around us, we can pray. Verse 7, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Here's the second thing I know. I can be confident in this. Not only uh, I, we, we understand that we can pray, but understand that we have peace. We have peace. We have the peace of God which passes all understanding. We have the peace of God that keeps our hearts and minds. We can have peace in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation and a world of trouble that we live in. God said, I'm your hiding place. I'll preserve you from trouble. We can pray. We have peace. Hey, here's another thing. We can praise. Notice what he says again in verse 7. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Hey, we can sing about the forgiveness of God. We can sing about victory in Jesus. We can sing those songs because we have experienced his grace and his power. 
And so conviction leads to confession, and confession leads to confidence that he has forgiven me, that he will help me, that he is here for me, and I can have peace and I can offer praise in that confidence. Well, here's the fourth thing. Counsel. Counsel. This is counsel to the sinner. Notice in verse number eight, I will, what's the next word? I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. God said, I, I have some good news for you sinners. I will teach you something. I want to help you. I want to help you right now. Listen, oftentimes when we think about our sin, we think about God up in the heavens with his arms folded, angry at us. We understand that God is angry with the wicked. That's those who don't know God. But he's not angry with his children. He loves us. And God cares about us, and he wants to deal with the sin in our lives. And if we'll simply come to him, then we'll find mercy and grace. Now notice verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, here's the counsel of God. Number one, the Lord guides us. The Lord guides us. What, what is the, the prayer, the model prayer that we, that we looked at last Wednesday evening? Uh, when, when the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, uh, he said uh, lead us not into what? But deliver us from evil. Do you know that if I'll seek the Lord's guidance each day, then the Lord will lead me away from temptation and the Lord will give me the way of escape? The Lord will guide me. Now, when God seeks to guide me, he tells me that I must respond to his leading. Now, he gives us an example that we find in verse number nine. Be ye not as the, what is it? The horse or as the, as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Here's what he says. I'm trying to guide you, but don't, don't be like the horse or the mule. Now, what does a horse do when you get on him if he's not been broken? Oh, I'm telling you, he... He lifts up and he kicks and he bucks and he tries to throw you off. You know what oftentimes we do to God and God's word when the Lord is speaking to us or when somebody in love tries to deal with us in our sinful attitude, we start kicking like that horse. We start running. We don't want to hear it. We want to get as far away from it as we possibly can. Now, what's the problem with the mule? When you think about the mule and you picture the mule and the farmer, what position do you think the mule's in typically? Well, he's seated, and the farmer's got a hold of the, the rope, and he's trying to pull the mule along because the stubborn mule don't want to move, right? And sometimes you might be guilty of saying to your spouse, you're as stubborn as a mule. Well, let me tell you, don't be rebellious like the horse. Don't be stubborn as a mule. By the way, you would never hear me say that. No way. There's no way that would ever come out of my mouth. But some of you would say that. You sinners, you need to repent. And uh, <clears throat> we can respond. We can respond like the horse or the mule. Hey, when God deals with us, humble yourself, submit to him, 
and obey him because he wants to guide you. Sometimes you try to counsel with some of these kids, but not just the kids, the parents too, and you're trying to tell them the right thing, and they bow up, and they don't want to hear it, and they huff and puff, and why don't people leave me alone? Why don't you just let me do what I want to do? I'll tell you why. Because what you will do if you're left to yourself is cause damage to your own life. And God who loves you wants to keep you in the center of his will and in the center of blessingness. And therefore, he guides us. Therefore, you and I must follow his leading. Here's the second thing. The Lord guards us. The Lord guards us. Look in verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Hey, the Lord guards us. He's wanting to protect us from the sorrows and the calamities of sin, and he will guard us if we'll be obedient to him. Here's the last thing. The Lord gladdens us. He guards us and he guides us and he gladdens us. Look in verse 11. Be, what's the next word? Glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Do you know who can sing the hymns on Sunday morning? It's the people who are right with God. You know who can sing the hymns on Monday morning? And Tuesday afternoon, the people who are right with God. The Lord gladdens us. Look, if we're walking around all the time un unhappy, defeated, discouraged, that's a sign there's something wrong in our heart. There's sin there that we haven't, we haven't confessed. It's concealed. That conviction is heavy upon us. And if we want to have the blessings of God, if we want to have the joy of serving him again, We've got to learn to deal with our sin. And I'm thankful that he's here to forgive me and to cleanse me. How is it with you? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.